I've had an opportunity over the course of my life, my 35 plus years of life, to travel to five different continents, almost 20 different countries, witness the religious practices of Hindus and Muslims and Sikhs and Baha'i and Buddhists and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Jews. I've had the opportunity to ask questions of priests and imams and monks in order to understand their beliefs, but also what they believe about Jesus. Many religions today believe that Jesus was a good teacher or a prophet or a good person to follow, but perhaps do not believe that he is the Son of God. Now, all these religions are works-based and perhaps based on a certain location where they worship their God or idols. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Israel, and I had the opportunity to go to Samaria, the town of Sikar, where Jacob's well is. This is the town in Samaria where Jesus approached the woman at the well and asked her for a drink. And this picturesque town there, at the time, there was a mountain there overlooking the village. Now, where Jacob's well is, it's down in the bottom of the basement of a church. And many places around the world, where there you see sacred sites, they build churches over them. But at the time, a great mountain, Mount Gerizim, could be seen from there. And so Jesus approached this woman of Samaria, and this was a very interesting situation. Jesus crossed these different boundaries, these gender lines, these ethnic and racial lines. And he goes up to this woman and starts talking about her life and telling her things about her life that only she would know. And she said this to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This is from John 4. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, pointing to it right there. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Basically, Jesus here was explaining to this woman of Samaria, it's not going to be about a location anymore. It's not going to be about a certain group of people anymore. Now in the 2,000 years since that conversation, Christianity has become a truly global and universal faith. Unlike most other religious faith, it has reached nearly every corner of the world. So when we think about Christianity in the West, the United States, Canada, and Europe, it does not have a monopoly on the Christian faith, far from it. It's growing exponentially in places like Central and South America and Africa. To hear the unprecedented growth taking place in Iran, they there are becoming disillusioned with Islam and the governing authorities of the Ayatollah and the Sharia law, all the protests happening there. They're leaving that country and that religious faith in droves. The church in China is growing at such a rate that it is believed that by the year 2030, there may be more Christians in China than the United States of America. I've spent time in Central America and Europe and Africa and Asia, and there's something uniquely different and beautiful about how Christians worship God in those places because of their racial, ethnic, and cultural backgrounds, because we serve a truly global God. And so our main point for today is this. Every race, culture, and ethnicity is an intended recipient of God's grace. 
So when we don't know or understand someone because they look different or act different than us or we don't want to, unfortunately, we automatically don't trust them. This was the same back in the day in Jesus' time, even more so during that time. As I've just shared about the Samaritans, they viewed them as anything but the people of God. They saw the Samaritans of that day as half-breeds. They had intermarried with Assyrians, and they no longer, the Jews no longer viewed them as the people of God, but Jesus crosses this line and talks to this woman of Samaria. When Jesus spoke to this woman at the well and told the story of the good Samaritan from Luke 10, Jesus was doing something completely different that no one had ever seen. So Jesus ministered to Samaritans and Gentiles alike, yet his, his disciples were still afraid to once he was gone and ascended back to the Father. So we have the book of Acts. We see what God did in those first few years in the early church. But then it comes to Acts chapter 10, when finally the word of God is going to break forth and reach every tribe, tongue, and nation. So I want to go through Acts chapter 10. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read the whole thing, so I'm going to read parts of it. And I'll give you an overview of other parts of it. And also, Acts 11, there's more explanation on it. But this is where we're going to be today in Acts 10, uh, 1 through 8 to start. But let me pray for us and then let's jump into Acts chapter 10. God, thank you so much for this time together. Lord, thank you that we truly do serve a global God. Lord, you understand um, who we are here today. Uh, But Lord, the people on the other side of the world, you've created them, you've formed them. And God, they're your people too. Lord, help us to understand that our brothers and sisters in Christ are all over the world, and we have so much more in common, perhaps, than we even know or understand. God, I pray that tonight, thinking about your global work, what you're doing in and around the world, we would get on board with that, but then also see the people right around us, God, who may look different or act different or be from somewhere different, God, but I pray that you would Open up our hearts and lives to them, Lord, so that we can bring them in and truly be one in you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Acts 10, 1 through 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So this happens with Cornelius, and about the same time and partly on the next day, Peter has this vision. So he's in Joppa, and he's on this rooftop. He's getting ready to pray, and he sees this vision. He almost goes into this trance-like state, and he sees this sheet come down from heaven. And he sees all these different animals, these, these uh, uncommon or unclean animals on it. And he's told to kill and eat. And he says, by no means, Lord, right? Because the Jewish, they had laws. They weren't supposed to touch anything or eat anything unclean. This happens three times to Peter. 
Isn't that interesting? Things seem to happen to Peter in, in, in groupings of three, so he could get it through his thick skull. Uh, but this happened to him a couple different times, and finally, while he's thinking about what this vision means, Cornelius' men show up, and the Spirit assures Peter that he is to go with them. They go back to Caesarea, and Cornelius explains his encounter with the angel and the need to hear a message from Peter now that is there with them. It finally clicks in Peter's mind that God has shown him that he should no longer view anyone as common or unclean, but to also eat and to fellowship now with Gentiles. So now he, all of this is happening. Cornelius' family is gathered around, and he's going to share this message that Cornelius is supposed to hear. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So then he explains and reminds them who this Jesus is, what all the fuss was about a few years ago, this man who came and lived and died, but rose again. He shares the gospel with them. And they had already been prepared to hear this message, and they believe the message. And then what happens? Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. It goes on to chapter 11. He goes and explains to his disciples or the other disciples that God has opened up the door to the Gentiles now. Now, there's a few points of clarification. We want to go back to these verses for our text from 34 and 35, because listen to what it says. Truly, I understand when Peter said this, that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, what he's saying here, as one commentary says, is this. This does not mean that salvation is possible apart from the atonement wrought by Jesus Christ, but rather that on the basis of his death and resurrection, the gospel is offered to all people who are willing to receive it and recognize their need of it. Had a person like Cornelius said, my good deeds are sufficient to win me favor with God and I have no need of the gospel, which is what the Pharisees basically did in Luke 18, then it would have become clear that he was not accepted by God. A good life is acceptable in God's sight only when it leads to recognition of its own inadequacy and to acceptance of the gospel. Got to make sure that's clear. So this encounter was a turning point for the life of Peter, the disciples, and the early church. The ministry had expanded from not only the Jews, but now to the Gentiles, and now towards the end of the earth. Again, our main point, every race, culture, ethnicity is an intended recipient of God's grace. So now today, because of this, we would have been these same Gentiles, right? We have brothers and sisters of Christ from all over the world. But why was this such a struggle for Peter and the other disciples, even when Jesus had already crossed these kind of boundaries before while he was ministering? Well, Peter here might not have been struggling necessarily with another race, the physical characteristics of these people, as much as certain aspects of their ethnicity, their heritage, their religion. Gentiles were pagans. They weren't supposed to associate or eat with them. So for Peter, basically, his Jewishness, his Jewishness had gotten in the way, so to speak. Just like our whiteness, or our blackness, or our social status, or our experience, or background get in the way of our reaching out 
and crossing those boundaries towards other people. So Peter had no issue with sharing the gospel with proselytes who were Jews, right? Think a few years earlier in Acts chapter 2 when he shared the good news of the gospel in the sermon and 3,000 people came to saving faith. There were people there from other races, cultures before. Acts, 1, or Acts 2, 5 through 11. Think about these people that were there. There were people from every nation under heaven. Verse 5 and verse 6. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. So from the very beginning, the Christian faith has been very diverse. Perhaps you've heard people say Things like this today, well, Christianity is just a white man's religion. Far from it. It could be argued that Christianity was in Africa even before it was in Europe. We see this, Galatians 3.28. The dividing wall has come down. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3.11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised. There is not Jew or Gentile, Right? Barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And then this culminates in Ephesians 2, 11 through 16 with Paul's writings, this time writing to Gentiles in Ephesus. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Gentiles who were once alienated from God, were brought near because of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. And then it says in verses 14 through 16, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility that separated us all, right? And we are one in Jesus Christ. So because of that, because of God's word says, what we know to be true about Jesus and his message, we must be careful what we say about other cultures. Be careful what we joke about. We need to be careful how we treat people of other races and ethnicities. God hates racism. He hates injustice. And moving forward, the words of Jesus going back were prophetic. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Basically, Jesus is saying the gospel is going to penetrate every tribe, tongue, and nation before God returns. And so not only do we have that prophecy, but we see this picture from John in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 fulfilled. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So Jesus prophesied it and John had a vision of it. 
Ed Stetzer puts it this way. If this is something you struggle with, if you don't like other races here, you're really going to hate heaven. Man, let that sink in. We're called to this now. We need to expand our horizons. We need to widen our circles to include more people who are not like us. So every race, culture, and ethnicity is an intended recipient of God's grace. We truly do serve a global God. So our action steps for tonight, we want them to be very practical because we want to Think through how do we put this into practice, what we've learned from chastity and what uh, we've learned from the message and the word and what we're going to hear from here shortly in an interview. The first thing is just something that we can all do on an everyday basis. Befriend a person or a family of a different race, culture, ethnic background. Just look out for people. This can be done in formal or informal ways. You see someone in a grocery store. You see some at your children's school. You see someone at your workplace and just Go up to them and get to know them. Or you can join up with a group like World Relief or uh, get involved with families that are coming in, immigrants and refugees. I know Pastor Dan recently started helping out a family that just got here from Afghanistan. Emma J just recently started helping out a family uh, from St. Ambrose. These are things that we can be thinking about and doing. If we want to start instilling this into our children now, we put out some resources out here today, a great uh, kids book, God's Very Good Idea about how God made us all different, yet made in his image, right? And so we look different, uh, we have different backgrounds and from different places, but we're all made in God's image. Here's a very practical uh, illustration, a story. Judy Melton, who passed away a couple years ago, um, I had the opportunity to baptize her uh, before then. Uh, but in the year 2020, when everything was going on, right, covid all the racial stuff happening out in the world. Uh, she was very like deeply grieved by all that. And she just started thinking and praying about, God, what, do I, what can I do? What do I need to do as a person, as an individual? So she sent me this message and it just, man, it touched me. Recently with all that's been going on, I took it upon myself while traveling this weekend to go up to 10 different people, eight African-Americans and two Asian people and said, hi, my name is Judy. I'm trying to make new friends of a different race. Would you like to be my friend? They all said yes, or how glad they were I took the time to do this. Two of them gave me hugs, and three wanted to hold my hand, and I let them. I just wanted to share my little start of trying to help out this crazy world and to live out my faith. That is so simple, yet so practical. Doing something that perhaps we haven't thought of, but perhaps so many people would accept because it would take them off guard, and they would be a pleasant surprise, and they would love to be your friend. But sometimes you have to ask. Number two, get involved with Operation Christmas Child. Sure, these kids are on the other side of the world. You won't ever actually meet them face to face, but you can touch them by sharing these gifts with them. These shoe boxes and the gospel will go forth. These are due back uh, the 19th. Uh, so you can do this as an individual, as a family. But we also have different groups here that do shoebox parties, and they put together these as a group. I know Jody Russell's small group, they do 100 every year. Uh, that's amazing. Our mainspring young adults, we're going to try to do that. And maybe we can do half that. Maybe we can do 50 of those. But we also, every December, our young adults, we go to the distribution center in Aurora and we serve for the day. So you can go, you can see the website there, occvolunteersignup.com. There's just different practical ways that you can get involved with that. Number three, pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, persecution.com. Find ways to get involved. Chastity already covered that, but there's a table out there. You can talk to her more 
afterwards. And then also this, we're so excited about this. Some of this is still in the works, but perhaps we will be um, being involved with some cross-cultural experiences next summer, 2024, uh, that we're going to open up to the whole church. And so uh, our different uh, ministries, our youth and young adults, had the opportunity to go to Belize uh, 2022. We hope to go back there and bring them, but also bring some others uh, along as well. We're hoping to partner perhaps with uh, Paul and Roxanne Wilson at El Monte in Mexico as well. So we want to create some opportunities for our people here to sign up and to be involved with perhaps some trips next summer. And we're going to have an interest meeting on Saturday, December 2nd. We're going to present all these opportunities. So we're just trying to put some practical things uh, in front of you. And then next up, I want to introduce to you guys the traveling team. The traveling team, if you guys want to stand up, uh, the traveling team is a group of young adults that travel all over the U.S. and they share with college students. And they go to different universities and they share what God's doing in and around the world through missions. So yeah, let's give them a hand. So we have David and Summer and Hannah and Tate, and so they're here with us all weekend. So I'm going to ask Summer to come on up, and we're just going to ask her some questions, but they're going to be sharing in different groups, and then they're going to be sharing at Mainspring uh, tomorrow evening. But we've gotten to know them the last few years. They come every two years, and so we're just excited for them to be involved this weekend, and it really worked out that we're having a global focus tonight with the traveling team and uh, Voice of the Martyrs as well. So Summer, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, also, what do you guys do as the traveling team? Yeah. So my name's Summer. I'm here with my husband, also David, back there. And um, yeah, I graduated from Moody Bible Institute about two years ago. And then this is my second year on staff with the traveling team. And I'm from the Chicago area. Um, And then with the traveling team, our goal is to mobilize the next generation of goers and senders among college students. And so we travel all across the country, going from campuses, typically, occasionally churches like you guys, and speaking about God's heart for all nations. So we'll start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, sharing about um, the one common theme of God's plan to include people, recipients of of grace from all nations. Um, And then we'll also give students more practical next steps to be a part of going or sending or mobilizing. um, And um, yeah, so... Great. So what kind of commitment is it like to be a part of this team that you guys have? Yeah, so we, we have an initial three-year commitment um, as traveling. And then we're also yeah, committing to being away from our home, our family and friends for eight months as we're traveling in, in different parts of the U.S. Okay, good to so, know. Yeah. All right, so we want to know this. How have you seen God use this movement in the lives of your team and the students that you guys minister to? Yeah, I think... Um, one of the unique parts about our ministry is that since we just come and speak at campuses with college students like for one night, we don't always get to see as much of long-term fruit until later down the road. Mm-hmm. And so it's cool to hear little stories even just about like students who hear this message of God heart, God's heart for all nations who have never heard it before and are like, wow, this actually changes like everything about my life. Wow. And so it is cool to see that happen. Um, but it's also really encouraging, I think, to hear about the impact of past teams that have come through mm-hmm. and seeing the ways that like, man, someone's, yeah, overseas now or, or, or on staff with their ministry because a group of us came through like five or six years ago or yeah. whatever. So that's been encouraging. And even in our own lives too, I think just as we were preaching the same thing every single night, um, mm-hmm. we just grow in deeper conviction of, yeah, the Great Commission and that it's our ultimate purpose. So That's great. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any specific stories to share about someone that you guys have shared with or something that's happened in one of your own lives about 
uh, about how God's been using this ministry? Yeah, so about a month ago, we talked to students on the phone, a lot of them after we meet them, and I talked to one student, and she was actually an international student from Vietnam, and she shared that about two years ago, she got invited to a campus Bible study and started going. She had grown up Buddhist, and then a year later, she um, received Christ, and then she is now this year leading an international Bible study on our campus. That's awesome. And she's a senior, and she's really excited about it, and super passionate about the gospel and reaching international students. And so I was actually able to connect her with one of our agencies who works in Cincinnati, where she'll be moving after she graduates, and she's going to get involved with them to be able to do more international family and student ministry. That's amazing. Awesome. Praise God. Yeah. Uh, So what are your plans for the future summer weather with um, this ministry and then beyond that? Yeah, so Dave and I have about a year and a half left of traveling, and then after that, we plan to begin the process of getting prepared to go. So we hope to go to an unengaged people group, um, Lord willing, um, so we'll start the process of preparing, whether it be seminary or whatever training we need. Okay, awesome. Thank you for sharing. Let's give her a hand. Thank you. Thanks so much. So afterwards, in a few minutes, um, we're going to have two tables set up, one for the traveling team and one for Voice of the Martyrs. But just a few takeaways as we kind of wrap things up here and as we get prepared for uh, communion. Um, This is all so good for us to hear as it helps us become more aware of what God is doing around the world. Um, Unity among people of every tribe, tongue, and nation is our future. So let's put it into practice now. This is good for us as individuals. This is good for us as the body of Christ. Let's seek out those who Christ would seek first, those who are perhaps different. Let's not show partiality. Let's seek out those perhaps we would normally avoid even. Let's seek out the least of these. And as much as you did it as for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me, Jesus says. So when you do this, it's as if you are seeking out Christ himself. And it's Christ who unites us. And the gospel is a means by which he does this and by which this is done. And in John chapter 17, right after Jesus uh, had the, the last supper with his disciples, he's praying to the Father on their behalf. And one of the things that Jesus prays for was unity. He prayed over and over and over that they would be one. So we need to think about in terms of Yes, us in here, but also our brothers and sisters in Christ out there and around the world. And so as we transition to this time of communion to celebrate the Lord's Supper, let's think through, is there anything in our lives, is there any unforgiveness or prejudice or anything that we need to confess before God? Is there anything we need to repent of? In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, let a man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Is there something that we need to let go of and let God take that over in our lives? So consider your relationship with God. Confess any sins that that God brings to mind for you. And then commit afresh to exhibiting a posture of presence with God at this time. So let's take a few moments of silent prayer and then our deacons and leaders are going to come up and we'll take the Lord's Supper together.